Hi, I'm Becca Spence Tobias, the project manager for Writing Clock, and I'm here with Carrie Dubiel and Brandy Ferner, who is the host of the Adult Conversation podcast and has a book coming out in 2020, which is a novel by the same name. Is that right? Yes, correct. Adult Conversation, a novel. Awesome. And um, we actually originally met, was it 2014 or 2015? Oh, at a- gosh doula retreat. We're both childbirth educators and doulas and we were both like making commitments. We were doing some hippie (laughs) kind (laughs) of like let's make our intention for the year and we both were like silently planning to well Brandy was silently planning to focus on this book she had and I think I voiced my intention to make my book and now we're both more actively writing and and momming. So yeah, we, so we basically ditched the hippie shit and went <laughs> into the author mode. Am, for, for, am I allowed to? Am I allowed to say expletives on here? Yes. I'm not going to pepper it with it, but I just want to make sure that we're I'm following guidelines. Yes, you're good. Okay, okay, good. Um, so, do you want to tell us about your book and um, because it's all about the momming? Yes, yes. Um, Okay, so my book, the sort of the little, you know, tagline for it is um, it's a darkly comedic novel about a frazzled suburban mom whose life is upended when she is pushed too far by the relentlessness and ruthlessness of modern motherhood, which I think many of us can relate to. And so the main character is seeking an answer to her question, am I broken or is motherhood broken? which sends her on a do-or-die road trip to Las Vegas with her therapist. So it's like a two-part sort of thing where you've got this mom who's trying to figure out a bunch of really complicated feelings. There's things like dad privilege that are happening that she's noticing that it's like it's not equal. There's something going on there. But you know, we know as moms that when you're in the thick of taking care of kids, you don't really have time to think about what's behind that and what is systemic and what is personality. And you just feel like angry, right? You feel like, <laughs> like resentful. And, and then you feel guilty because you're like, oh, but I'm, I don't have to work if you're in that situation. There's, I mean, complicated, right? So uh, the character has complicated feelings, realizes she's kind of at a low point wondering, am I, am I broken? And so she goes to uh, see a therapist and figure this whole thing out, which sends her, she's kind of finding some old pieces of herself uh, and trying to incorporate those into her, into her life as a mom. And as we all know, everything hinges on a babysitter. And so uh, there's a there's a moment where a babysitter cancels on her and everything she's worked for sort of she has to figure out a way to juggle it or not, which then leads her eventually on this Thelma and Louise style trip to Las Vegas with her therapist, super unprofessional, but that's what happens. And uh, they are tempted and tested and go to a topless, uh, what would you call it, like a topless pool and a strip club and have all sorts of these old pieces of themselves and this autonomy. And I really, when I came up with the idea, it just hit me so fast. I wanted to know what would moms do if they went to Las Vegas and it and they were at the end of their ropes. Like, would would people really jeopardize their entire family and their marriage or would they not? And so I really wanted to write that out and I got to do it and it was so much fun. So I hope other people enjoy it as much as I did. 
it sounds so amazing. I'm so excited to read it. <laughs> Thank you. Is the protagonist an author? Is she a writer? Uh, no, she's not. So her deal is she makes clothing. Uh, she has a children's clothing line that she had before she had kids, which funny is something I used to do as well. So as you guys probably know too, the writing it's like this main character is a piece of me and there's so many little things sprinkled throughout that are pieces of me and my experience and little pieces of my husband and people in my life, but then also, you know, done for dramatic effect. And it's, it's a compilation too, Becca, you'll, you may feel a similar way, but it's a compilation too of clients I've worked with and dads I've seen and moms I've seen. So it's sort of this being a doula and, and walking people through becoming mothers it's like this collective experience. It's just so, so funny, you know, like this feeling of things being unequal and having complicated feelings about motherhood, especially in this modern time where it's like, you can have it all, but actually you can't have it all. Um, and, and marriage and all these things. I don't know a mom that doesn't share these same sentiments. So it's like this collective consciousness. And I think I'm just one of the people that decided to be honest about it and write about it. Cause I think, most every mom who reads this will be like, oh yeah, oh yeah. But I don't know that they would feel comfortable saying some of it. So I'm putting myself out there a little bit, you know, via this character, but I'm all about being transparent and honest and talking about real stuff to free people from feeling alone and isolated and depressed and unhappy and all of those things. So that's kind of what what that's about. I love that. That's so funny because I just had my like fifth babysitter of the year quit oh geez <laughs> we've been through so many different after school child care arrangements that I actually started writing a story that kind of hinges on the same sort of thing but yes. other than that it's completely different so we don't, <laughs> we don't have to worry about competition <laughs> no but isn't it funny like some of the things that you realize are you know that I, that I watch in my own marriage but in every other marriage pretty much is dad's don't have like we are their safety net childcare. So when they have something come up that they need to go do, it's like we're the safety net just because our name is mom. And it's not the same for us. So then when we, you know, and in some this is like a generalization there, you know, it's not like this for everybody. And in my relationship, I've sort of changed things to make it work for both of us. But it's this weird thing where all of a sudden you bow down to a babysitter. And mm -hmm. if that person says they can't make it, like you don't get to do that thing. Whereas it's kind of different for the dads. Like we're always there and we don't really, unless, you know, we're passing a kidney stone or having a heart attack or something like <laughs> we're showing up to that. So it's, it's this thing too, where I don't think that they fully understand what that feels like to have something really important that you've worked for hinge on like a 19 year old who has no clue, you know, oh what, how, how important something is. Yeah. Our big problem is that we both work later shifts so he works 10 to 7, Monday through Friday, and I work 9 to 5 on Mondays and Tuesdays, 1 to 9 on Wednesdays and Thursdays, and 2 Fridays a month oh, wow. and 2 Saturdays. So, and then he works every other month, he works Saturdays as well. So our schedules are all over the place. Oh, wow. Right. And so if we don't have somebody to get somebody off the bus, he can't get out of work. So it's me. And right. I have had times when I've had to drive, leave work, drive 20 minutes home, get my son off the bus, drive him to daycare, and then drive back to work. 
Yes. It's funny because the, you know, the, the different situations with stay at home mom or working mom, it's interesting still that even in the working mom situation, it is usually the mom who can be uh, uh, inconvenienced. We just sort of accept that. And I actually did a podcast episode with this woman who wrote this amazing book called All the Rage. Yes, Mothers, Fathers, and the Myth of Equal Partnership. And so many of the things in my book that I talk about and that this character goes through with the complicated parenting stuff, like you have this person you love, but then you realize they're conditioned differently than you and all of those things. Her book was able to put real theories and science behind that when I interviewed her, I was like, this is a trip because I'm 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 finally seeing why myself and my character felt these ways. Like these are real things. Mm-hmm. And she was telling me things, you know, like the stats show that moms are the ones that are inconvenienced. Mothers are one of the most interesting parts of it, I thought, was um, there were these scientific studies that men are actually more comfortable being over-benefiters and women are more comfortable being under-benefiters. <laughs> so men are more happy to get more out of the deal, but we hate getting more out of the deal. We want, we would rather get less out of the deal. And if you look at that and you think of how far that splits us apart, I mean, to me, that's modern modern marriage in a nutshell, right? Or, or modern marriage with children in a nutshell. From what I've seen from friends and clients and all of this is that that difference of what you're comfortable with and then catering towards that on both ends. So, you know, I think the answer really lies somewhere in the middle, but um, I'm not necessarily about finding the answer. But my book definitely explores those things in a narrative way, whereas Darcy Lockman's book explores them in a nonfiction scientific way. But I feel like they should be like, uh, they should be companions <laughs> because they really yeah, go together. I love that book. I, I, my husband's probably sitting here laughing at me because of all of the books that I've read on this topic. Um, and I, I agree with you on, on that particular one I liked because it was so research-based. Yes. I've read a lot of them that are very anecdotal, which is fine because we all have our own anecdotes. But the fact that Lockman's book was just so entrenched in the research that I found that kind of enormous. In- yes. And really anecdotally, like my husband and I spend a lot of time trying to make things equal. We talk about it a lot. And I'm not just saying that just because he's sitting here, but but we do. We, I mean, we've talked because I read these books and, and we go over it, but one marriage doesn't make society. And like you were saying, we've heard, like, we know dads that won't change a diaper, things like that. I mean, it's, we know dads who are just like, afraid of their children or you know the whole thing about like well dad needs to babysit tonight and all right and even at the very best this is what Darcy and I were talking about too is even at the very best you still have a person you still have two people who are conditioned to be totally different so she had this moment where I was asking her about you know how her husband felt about about her writing the book and what that was like and she's like listen he understands he is every man and mm-hmm. also and she's like and I'm every woman we all are and it's not that either one of us is necessarily doing something wrong or like a villain but when you both come together and realize you know hey you've been conditioned to have things done for you and to have an unequal distribution of labor, 
you've been raised like that and I've been raised to allow that. So how do we break this down? That is what I felt like was very powerful because as much as the book can make you so angry when you read Mm -hmm. it, there Mm -hmm. is some message in there that is, you know, not necessarily pointing fingers at anybody, but like now that we know this and we have this research that shows this, now what are we going to do with it? Now we're going to make a conscious effort to maybe break those molds. There is a new book. I have the advanced reader. I haven't read it yet, but Fair Play, um, I believe it's by Eve Rodsky. Okay. And it's supposed to be a workbook of how to make these kinds of changes. So I'll have to take a look at that and report back. Oh, I love that. Um, Yes. But yeah, I've read a lot of a lot of these books. And in writing my new story, which I won't say a whole lot about because it's still very, very new. um, And I don't want to jinx it. But (laughs) I thought about thinking about a lot of these same concepts. So yeah. So in the midst of all of this inequality, these crazy schedules, trying to navigate (laughs) a relationship with our spouse and with our kids, when and how do the two of you find time to write? Gosh, uh, I know for me, when I got this idea, this was about four years ago. So I had a, I think I had a seven and a half year old, maybe eight year old and a two year old. I hadn't really had a babysitter for my two-year-old at all, and I knew when I this idea would not let me put it down. Like I was losing sleep at night because I would these ideas would just flood my brain, and so I'd have to write them down and jokes and and you know the story and the plot and all these things. And so after about a week of not being able to sleep, I thought, okay, I have to write this or else it's going to take me down. <laughs> like I'm going to die if I don't do this. So I, I mean, the only way. The only way was to get a babysitter. Like I could have tried, this is, I mean, I could have tried to do the edges of the day, right? I could have gotten up way before my kids, which would have meant like 3 a.m. Or I could have done after they went to bed, you know, when you're like completely worthless as a human being. And I just knew I have to do a babysitter. I don't know where we're necessarily going to find the money for this. Like this isn't in our budget, but it's something, it was so visceral that it's it, it had to happen. So I hired a babysitter and it was, I was lucky I, in a sense, because the story and all of it, it was right there. And so I would hire a babysitter for whatever time I could get her. And of course, there were plenty of days she had to cancel. So then I wouldn't get to write. But let's say I had her for three or four hours, which at that time, I mean, you guys know going from no babysitter to having a four hour block was amazing. Like it was amazing. But I'm such a, I'm such a like, I'm not frugal, but I'm, I'm just so practical that I thought, I cannot have writer's block if I'm paying a babysitter for this. And I was lucky in that I didn't. Any of the times I went to write, it was right there. Like I turned on a faucet and it was like my, it was like, you know, it's like almost this out of body, like, you know, religious experience where it was like, I knew you're paying for this. You have no other time to do this and it has to happen now. So I think I started it in December and I think I had my babysitter come maybe once or twice a week, depending, you know, there were weeks where kids were out of school and holidays and stuff, but I think I finished it in the month of April. So I worked my ass off and I made use of those hours. But that's back then when I had a small one who demanded constant attention. I knew the only way to do it was a babysitter because I'm not somebody who can write with kids around and multitask. Like multitasking, I hate multitasking. But now that they're older, when they're at school, I can write. I can find little edges of the day a little bit more easily. Um, But when, when I was still in that sort of triage time where you have a a small child toddler, 
there was no way it was happening without me paying somebody. Yeah. Even without paying a babysitter, when my husband's like, here, go right for an hour. I'm so much more efficient than I used to be. I can get so much done just knowing that I only have that hour of the day to do it. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy making, like I always said to my husband, I feel like I live with a gun to my head because there's a timer on everything I do. And I still feel that way about school pickups and things, although there's a lot more breathing room now that they're both in full day school. But, you know, it's a it's a weird life. And I my oldest is 12. So I've had a decade of having to fit every single thing I've done in my life into increments of like 30 minutes, an hour and being constantly interruptible. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 crazy making like for me, what I wanted to do, I just had such an urge. I And I would say to my husband, I bet you I could write this thing in like five days if I just could go somewhere and just do that. But that's I craved that so badly to just have the space and the time of like a week to go do it. But it just, you know, it just wasn't feasible. But I, <laughs> that's why there's so many moms that are like, oh, the kids are growing up so quickly. And I'm like, when is retirement? <laughs> when do I get my writing time? Because <laughs> that's all I want. All I want is like days where you can just lose yourself in, in creativity. And I mean, of course, I'm happy to have the time with my kids now, but I'm 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 really looking forward to the part where I get to do that more often. My Mother's Day gift this year was two days alone to write. Mm. I got so much done. It was incredible. I got through I edited 10 chapters in two days. <laughs> <laughs> it was ridiculous. And were you on meth? <laughs> was was meth a <laughs> No. <laughs> I was just not exhausted. Yes. <laughs> it kind of felt like being on something. I forgot what that felt like. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I had the same. We had our I have a group and we do an annual writers writers retreat and I wrote 20,000 words and I also copy edited an entire novel that my friend had written. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like they they couldn't be, like my fingers ached by the end of it. I could not stop because I was in the home stretch of the novel. Yeah. And I'd been dying to finish this book for months and months and months. So my first book is the one that's with ink shares. I had to rewrite it three times. So in between, I, as I was waiting for my edits to come back each time, I had been writing a little bit here and a little bit there on this second book. And so I had been working on it for over a year and I was just like, get this thing out of me. Yes. (laughs) Brandy, you mentioned um, being interruptible. So Lainey Wild wrote for us, um, an article about writing as a parent and her biggest advice was be interruptible. And when I heard this, it sounded so genius. And I tried so hard to be interruptible. (laughs) She was like, then you don't have to feel guilty because if the kids need you, then you're there. But Oh my God, oh, no. the rage. I can't do <laughs> no. it. <It's>, <laughs> I am vehemently I, it's against constant. that. <laughs> if it works for you, it's beautiful. But sure. I just found myself getting so frustrated and so angry at my children that yes. I couldn't do it that way. No. And then, you, yeah, and then you're not writing well and you're angry at your kids. It's like, right. no way. And you know, with Toni Morrison's passing, I saw, I was reading a bunch of, um, you know, a bunch of pieces from her and some of her quotes. And I know that one of the things about her is that she wrote as a young, as a mother of young kids. And so she has something, there's a quote about how the baby would spit up on her paper and she would just wipe it off and keep writing. Oh. And me and a couple other writer friends were talking about how shame, how much shame we felt that we were like, I could never do 
do that, but it's Toni Morrison. So like, we should learn how to do that. You know, <laughs> like she's amazing, but I'm just, I'm not built like that. Like I'm somebody who I need alone time. I, I mean, and I don't get it, but I need alone time. And I learned, I remember back before I had kids on my resume, I had, you know, great at multitasking. And I have, motherhood makes you, well, made me hate multitasking because it, it's, it's just, it's, it's too much. It's like a system that's on the fritz when you're trying to do too many things that you can't do any of them well or enjoy the, you know, the flow or the focus of any of them. So I have been trying to eliminate multitasking in my life. So I, I, but I get that, I get that advice that people want to give for that because there's some people who just legitimately do not have the resources that they couldn't afford a babysitter. So they would never write. And so you'd rather have somebody write than not write. But if you're somebody who needs complete solace, like don't feel bad about that because that's also a normal thing. Yeah. So my current strategy, (laughs) this advice comes from writing block, um, what what's Jackie's title? Sorry, Jackie. Writing block. Marketing. Yeah, marketing, marketing director. director. <laughs> Extraordinaire, Jackie Castle, who told me that screen time doesn't count before 730. <laughs> so that's my new favorite advice. Uh, <laughs> so my daughter wakes up I at like six that. and I pop her in front of Sophia and that's what I write now. Which brings me to another yes. topic, guilt. <laughs> Shall we talk about guilt? Uh. Yeah. Okay. What about it? (laughs) I should be spending this time with my children. I'm putting my children in front of the TV. They see me working for hours on this thing that they don't understand. They just know that I'm not paying attention to them, whatever, whatever form it comes in. Yeah. Since I work full time, I deal with a lot of that. I get a lot of it from my own mother um, who believes that women should stay at home. Oh, wow. And I have a pretty long term career as a librarian. And my thought is that I'm going to retire early so that I can write and be there for my kids when they're teenagers, which I've heard is kind of a stressful time mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So That's, but I, uh... I get it a lot. I had people say to me when I was pregnant, so you won't be coming back, right? Like patrons and um, people say to me, I don't know how you can write and be a parent and work full time. How do you have time for everything? And so I feel like I get a lot of judgment from others, but yeah, they're not me. They don't know my life and they don't know, like, I don't, I'm very efficient with my time. Right. It's not like you're just writing all day long and kids are like starving and also the kids are fine though like even what you're describing is what childhood was like generations ago (laughs) people are fine exactly our moms just weren't writing books they were like playing tennis and i god knows what (laughs) well and my mom worked and that's why i think it's so odd that she doesn't want me to work because she was the the role model for me that showed that women women can have careers and women can bring in the money and women are powerful. I don't really know what happened. (laughs) Gosh, isn't that interesting? I mean, that's so much pressure coming from your own mother's story, like that she did that thing, but then is going to tell you, you know, insinuate that you should not do that thing. And so then you're in a place that's, I mean, you know, hopefully you, you realize that and it sounds like you do what you want, but that's a, that's a hard place to be when you have that judgment coming from you know, from your own mother. I look at it as, 
um, you know, there's a, of course, everything, there's a balance. So like what you're saying is it's not like we're writing all day and, you know, kids are starving and running in the street and, you know, you can't find them or whatever. But I just know that for my kids, I want them to see both of them. I have a, I have a son who's 12 and a daughter who's six. I want them to see a mother who is doing what she enjoys and that she's a Mm -hmm. human being. Like I really want to humanize the idea of mother to both of my kids. And I want my son, whoever he ends up marrying, I want him to be able to know that if she becomes a mother, like that doesn't, there's not like a preset list of things that she can do. So I feel actually really good about it when I do it because I know that I'm modeling that for them. And I'm not just saying like, it's great, we should all have passions. And so as you guys probably have some of that too, it's really neat to be able to say to your kids, yeah, I really had this topic I was interested in and I wrote this book. And especially as they get older and they start to realize that, you know, my son will be like, mom, you wrote a book. Are you going to write another one? Like that's a pretty badass thing. I feel like to have your kids grow up seeing you do something you're passionate about. And it's not just writing books. It can be whatever. It could be a job that you love being an accountant, you know, or you love being a chef or, you know, any of those things. Having your kids see you do what lights you up and what you you're created like what you are driven to do is such an important thing to model. Absolutely. And I mean, going back to the parody thing, my kids spend so much time with their dad in the past that wouldn't have been the case. Right. It would have been dad would have been sitting on the sofa watching TV, but my husband is a very active father mm-hmm. and he's really into trains and my kids are super into trains too. So it's really cool to see the three of them yeah. doing that thing that they all do together that they love. And I don't have to feel guilty if I'm writing when that's happening. So that's like the best for everybody. It's exactly right. It's like that balance. You know, they get the special time with their dad. They get the special time with you. And hopefully both of you get to pursue passions or, you know, things that that light you up. I think it's pretty, pretty ideal. And it is maybe, you know, not not the norm of 20 years ago, but it seems to be more and more the norm these days. Yeah, I'm I'm hopeful that change is coming and that boys can learn to see what both of their parents do and the the care work that goes yes. into what both of their parents do and that it's valid and that it means something. Yes. So much of it is the conditioning that Brandy you were talking about earlier though and just yeah. the internalized patriarchy and like the problems of capitalism, I guess that's where I'm going with this. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, it's it always it's comes down to capitalism. I swear, every every podcast I do ends with like, and it's capitalism's fault. Because so I'm in a unique position in that I'm a stay at home parent, but my husband works from home and is not busy 100 of the time, and so gets to be really involved in my kids' lives, um, and that I have like a part-time gig doing this tinker garden leading. I lead outdoor nature classes for kids. So in a way, my kids, like what they actually see as far as working is me being like an actively hands-on working parent, like doing like manual labor. And my husband's doing like more of the computer, (laughs) computer work, but we're both home. But me knowing he's the person bringing in money, it's just so internalized. Like when I then go take a break, like I go to the coffee shop, he's fine with it. Like he's like, 
go. You've been, <laughs> you've been working all day too. But yeah. I'm like, but you are making money all day. And it feels like a, wow. like a gift that I'm getting that time to myself. It's so like that hour or, or whatever. Whereas like his afternoon of a break, which is the norm or whatever feels like it should be expected because he's been doing something for income all day. It's just so internalized. Oh, Becca, I could talk about this forever. This is actually one of the parts in my book. Uh, but also I think in my last podcast, this is, we talk a lot about this is, you know, uh, this idea that the the work the unpaid work somehow takes a sec takes a back seat. So I was I think with a guest I was talking about how when my when my first child was born and my husband you know we were up at night and it was maybe for a couple weeks and what would happen is like I would nurse my son and then my husband would take him and go change his diaper and for those thirty seconds I would be alone in bed and have nobody on me and it felt so great and then my husband would bring him back and I'd nurse him to sleep and we'd sleep and then repeat the whole cycle you know but it was like week two or three, something like that, something in my head said, this is silly for both of us to be sleep deprived. Do you have a job that you're going to? One of us needs to be alert enough. Why bring us both down? And so I said, you know what? I'll do the I'll do the the diaper changes too and and you know don't even worry about it. And I realized years later, like a decade later, <laughs> that was the that was the day that I put the needs of a person who makes the money ahead of the person who doesn't make the money. And it's this whole idea of if we're not getting paid for it, does it have value? Is there a value to that? Mm -hmm. And of course there is, but it's like when we've been conditioned that there isn't, I fall into the trap of the same things that you do. Like I cater to the moneymaker because that just feels right. If you're not bringing in the money, then what, you know, then, then you don't get a vote in a way. And so I've had to work really hard to try to mm -hmm. break that agreement that I have. And it's funny because my husband doesn't have it just like, it sounds like your husband doesn't have it either. Like he's not like, well, I'm, you know, I'm bringing home the bacon. Like they're fine with it. It's, it's our own stuff that's there. And I know for me, it was being like a really independent woman. I grew up I've had a, I had a job since I was like 14, always making money. My husband and I were always equals. It wasn't like he was ever taking care of me. And the motherhood hits and it's like my identity and everything that made me feel like I had value and I was contributing just went out the window. And now there's this new thing that replaces it of caretaking a baby that society doesn't really think is that important and there's no money attached. Now we're making less. It's like the whole thing is so complicated that I just I so feel you on on the feelings about that. Mm -hmm. I think too when you talk about writing, it's very similar because even if you're not a parent, it takes some time to build up a career as a writer. So there's so much of it that you do that you don't get paid for, right? And so people see that they th they see writers they see librarians they see people who are not you know doctors or in business or whatever and they're like those people must not be really doing anything right so it's yeah exactly so you can feel that double guilt when when you're like okay well I stayed at home all day and now I'm gonna go write but right. I'm not making any money writing either. So I have a friend who was a stay-at-home mom, now is also a stay-at-home mom, but also has a thriving career as a writer. And she said when she was for when she first started, that was how she felt. She was like, Why should I carve out this time to not make any money? But now she's she's making pretty good money for a writer. So anything can yeah, happen. I 
I was talking to a friend of mine. We were having, you know, I, it's like I have the same conversations with like, you know, 10 of my friends. It's all the same stuff that you guys are bringing up. But we were saying about what, because she was having the same issue. And we were saying, you know, what if we started to look at our job as the stay at home parent, you know, uh, as we, I just, I just saved our family $150,000 a year. Like what, you know, when you really put down the amount, like, because she and I were talking about, if we really went through and looked at the cost of childcare for how long, you know, that we're taking care of our kids and you really break that out and then the other jobs that we do within it, it's, and I, and I know somewhere online, I think it was actually like monster.com did a, did an infographic on it. It was something like $150,000 a year is what it would cost to have somebody do all the things that a stay at home mom does. And so what if we in our own heads could see the value, even though we're not bringing money in, we're definitely making sure there's no money going out. Cause if, if I died tomorrow, my husband all of a sudden has an insane childcare bill, personal shopper bill, you know, all of those sorts of things. So it's it's hard because, you know, it's breaking up a conditioning pattern. But I think that that's a helpful way to look at it because it's it's legitimately true. And then maybe with writing, what would this cost? Like if I was doing this for someone else, <laughs> if I was editing somebody else's book. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. It would not be free. No. But then it kind of sucks that we even like have to give it value to ourselves. We have to frame it in terms of money. Like we can't just see inherent value. Money, in I know. I cared for my children. Mm-hmm. I took a temperature. I drove everyone around all day. And then I. <laughs> and then I feel bad. Like that's that's so shitty when you go, you know, when at the end of doing a whole bunch of things you, and then you're like, well, I guess I didn't. I'm, you know, I don't have much value. <laughs> and that's in my book with the character. She, you know, she gets this, she gets back into doing these uh, shirts, this children's clothing company, and she gets this store that wants to pick up her her clothing, and she gets a check for like $300, and she's like, says to her husband, like, I have value now. <laughs> it's like so small, but it's, but it's this moment where she was like, I don't care how much it is. Somebody has given me value that's tangible, and it's so little, but it's like, now I can say to people like, well, I'm making money. It doesn't matter how much it is. It's just that idea that all of a sudden gives you, you know, some sort of value. It's so mm-hmm. messed up. True. Oh, I feel that so hard. Yeah. <laughs> we were kind of joking, I think, Brandy, about the length of the process, <laughs> how long oh, it takes yes. to write a book. And I this got me thinking about it. So I started writing my book when I was pregnant with my son. I'm now like three rewrite three rewrites into the developmental editing process. My son is about to turn six and my daughter is three. So in the time that it's, by the time this comes out, I will have grown, birthed, (laughs) nursed and raised two children to school age (laughs) from like a clump of cells to school age children in the time it's taken me to make this book come into the world. It's pretty ridiculous. Did you guys see that picture that's going around of the lady that took the baby pictures with her dissertation? No. Yes, I, I need to that. see that. <laughs> I'm, I'm tempted to do that when my book comes out. Oh, you should. <laughs> it's funny. I, you know, it's kind of one of those things you take for granted. And and in a sense, I'm glad I didn't know. It's kind of like like parenthood and birth in a way. It's like I'm kind of glad you don't know really <laughs> the realities of it because had somebody been like, okay, when I had my idea and was all like inspired and like, I'm gonna write this, and they're like, Well, just so you know, it's not gonna ever see the light of day, you know, for like five years or something. <laughs> I might have been like, oh, then I don't know if I'm going to do it. So I guess, you know, it's one of those things that we don't really know 
uh, when we get into it, we're, we're pretty naive about, but man, things can take so long. And for me, the writing process wasn't even the long part. That was the part that I like banged out. And then it was like trying to find an agent, getting an agent, firing an agent, you know, trying to figure out what I was going to do. Then finally finding a publisher, but that publisher having such a great big list that it wasn't going to be like a year and a half until my book was going to come out. And so I like you guys probably too, I have had to learn to be patient. And that's not one of my number one traits. But in the end, I'm so grateful that it took this long. Because I've learned, I've learned how to write a book by writing a book, right? So it's like, had it come out, you know, four years ago, it would have been a different book. And I don't think it would have been nearly as good. So, and, and I mean, this is kind of the paralyzing process too, right? Is when you give that last edit and then you think to yourself, oh my gosh, in two years, I'm sure I'm going to read this and cringe. Like there's going to be stuff I've learned or, you know, I'm going to, I'm only getting better in my craft. And so how can I ever release a book ever? Cause there, you know, there's always ways to improve it, but I'm really happy that it took the time that it did. But on the, on the flip side of that, I almost feel like I was a completely different person who wrote that book than I am now. Like if I were to take that same topic and now four years later start the writing process, I think the book would be somewhat different. I'd have a a definitely um, like a more intense take on some of the things that back then four years ago were still kind of new to me. So there's a part of me that's like, oh man, you know, when I was going through the last edit, I'm like, do I rewrite this? (laughs) But I thought, you know what? No, because the woman I was four years ago with a two-year-old that's that is the gold in it. It's not the woman who's who's here now. It's this woman who was in the trenches of this. Mm-hmm. And that I feel like is one of my book's superpowers is I don't think a lot of moms when they're in the trenches of the hard part, they're not usually with it enough to be writing about it. So all those little nuances that you forget about that I've already forgotten about, I got to record and it comes from mm-hmm. that place. So like there's parts in it that still when I read it, I still ball my eyes out and I still laugh super hard. And so that's kind of my my litmus test as to if I if I made myself proud or if I did the job I set out to do, regardless of what anybody else thinks. But that whole long process really makes you go through like you're a whole different person on the other side mm-hmm. of it. And there are people who didn't exist before in your life that exist now. <laughs> there are three. <laughs> I wrote and you also birthed new people. <laughs> I wrote a birth scene in my first draft when I was pregnant before I'd given birth and <laughs> that was pretty funny to read oh. after and I've oh, wow. heavily revised that since actually giving birth. <laughs> yeah. I never yes. tried to do that. I can't even imagine writing it it's like on TV when it's just the lady sitting there all perfect with the hospital right. gown on like oh here's your baby. Yeah. Yeah, there was definitely, there were definitely things that would happen, you know, in these last four years where I'd have a real life experience and I'd go, oh my gosh, I have to, like similar to you, Becca, I got to go revise that part of the story because I'm in a similar place to that character and now there's a nuance that I now know. Mm -hmm. So that's what kind of like kills my, um, my overthinking side is what moments haven't I lived that I could enrich in my book that I won't get for another two years. But right, if we do all, if we never put the thing out because we're waiting until it's perfect, it will never, ever come out. It's a process no matter what. And you will, you'll pick up the finished book and you'll go, oh, you could have changed this. But there's a point where it just finally becomes what it's going to become. 
Yep. And you have to send it off into the world. I would imagine mm-hmm. sending our kids off to college is a similar way. Yeah. <laughs> you might want to go back and redo a couple things, <laughs> but you really can't. It's interesting as a reader, the way that being a parent writer has affected me too. I read, I think maybe since this is not a super nice review, I won't name the book, but I read a book that I liked the, I really, really liked the beginning of it. And it goes with, a. it follows a woman from when she's, I think, 19 until her death. And I really love the beginning of it. It felt so true to life. And as soon as she had her baby, I was like, this woman is, this author is not a parent. Like I could just tell. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Yes. You know whose book I felt exactly like that about, which which this whole – what I'm going to tell you like is a whole scene in my own book, um, is Marie Kondo, her uh, – the mag- the life-changing magic of tidying up. So I read that book as a parent. I think we all do. We're like, this book is – it's small and it's already doing its job. It's already tiny <laughs> and not taking up space and it's going to change my life. And then I'm like, you know, three pages and I'm like, this bitch doesn't have kids. So I Googled, does Marie Kondo have kids? And at that time, it was like, no. And I'm, of course she doesn't because her her methods are to take everything out of all the closets, all the clothes, and put them in a giant heap. And I'm like, it would, it would never get put away. Are you kidding me? What? I have a book podcast, and we received advanced reader copies okay. of that book. And we spent an hour talking about how she must not have kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that she does, it's too, so like since the TV show has launched, she's eased up her methods have gotten less <laughs> less strict too so oh she does have kids now? she does she i think she has two yeah. and she's like oh if this doesn't work <laughs> oh just do what you can <laughs> she gets it a little a little work <sighs> well it sounds like we're all tired <laughs> so do we have any other topics that we want to cover before we call it a night well, it's a night for me. It's not quite night for you guys, I guess. Oh, man. Hmm. Writing as a parent. <laughs> We're all just so burnt out. It's kind of hilarious. So I was really smug when I like first decided to get serious about writing. And I made this whole like cute YouTube video where I have my baby with me and she's like kind of giggling in the bathtub. And I'm like, you don't have to feel guilty because you can just be completely with your kids like most of the year and then do NaNoWriMo and just don't feel guilty because it's a month. And then I don't know. It's funny how, how perspective changes, like not only as your kids get bigger, but like as you want to get more serious about your writing too. Like, I don't want to just write for a month. I want to be a writer. So how do I integrate that into my life? Yeah, and there's definitely the um, imposter syndrome. I go, I've gone to a couple writing retreats with a bunch of these. Most of them, except for a couple, are also moms. And it's so funny how you know it's like five days, and for the first day and a half, everybody plays the like, I don't, I'm not really a writer, but I'm here. We're all like, but we're all at a writing retreat, so it's just such a funny game. And especially when you have women who haven't found an identity for X amount of years, you know, who have kids. So then you get them. So it's already hard to find an identity, but then you say writer and people are like, well, I mean, I guess, I guess I'm a writer, but I, I feel like an everybody in, in some sort of secret way for the first couple of days comes out of the closet and is like, I just, I feel like I'm an imposter here. And we're like, well, great. Cause we all feel like imposters here, you know? So I think that identity piece is also tricky, you know, coming from, from moms who really haven't had much of an identity and haven't been focusing on themselves. That's a shift for sure. I was in a yoga class where it was like 
healing um, your diastasis recti after having a baby, like bringing your ab muscles back together. And the, um, the teacher was like, if the kid is crawling all over you, this is your yoga. That's not the distraction from your yoga. Like this is your yoga. And I kind of feel like <laughs> this is our writing practice. <laughs> like it's, we're not trying to get away from children to be a writer working around the distractions of our life yes. is the process of being a writer. Yeah, and, and really it teaches you how to carve out time for yourself. If you really have an idea and that, you know, that creative energy that won't let you sleep, you have, I mean, I'm grateful for it because it made me get a babysitter. It made me figure out time for myself. So for people who have a hard time doing that for themselves, maybe sometimes in their life, whether it's, you know, singing or uh, painting or writing, maybe sometimes the creativity that, that needs to be expressed helps them to, to speak up for themselves and, and say what they need. Mm -hmm. Does anybody have any favorite resources on this topic? I have a couple, but I'll see. If they overlap with yours, I don't. Most of my resources are either about parenting or about writing, <laughs> not both. Yeah, not so the overlap. So Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic podcast has an episode with Brene Brown where they talk about writing as a mother, and it's beautiful. Everybody should listen to it. Is it truly so? How do I how do I say this without sounding like an asshole? Is it like <laughs> is it Marie Kondo beautiful or is it like real? Beautiful? No, it's real beautiful. It's real beautiful. Because I love I love some of that stuff from both of those women, and then there's also an aspect about it that I'm like, some of this is just. Um, like, uh, what's the right word I'm trying to think of? Um, it's just platitudes. And so is it the real, real? It's this one's real. This one's good. But even realer is the article in, I think it was in the Paris Review. What do we do with the art of monstrous men? Where it just takes a really, she talks about finding out all of these men whose art and films and writing you love were sexually oh. abusive. And it takes this really intense, fantastic turn into guilt at being a mother slash creator. It's wonderful. Wow. I'm going to have to check that out. Thank you for that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think Carrie, like you, I, I don't, there's, they're two separate things. Like there's only one I can think of that's mostly parenting that they don't, they don't really cross over. There's like little quips here and there. Mm -hmm. Like Anne, Anne Lamott is one of my favorite writers. Mm -hmm. And so she has in some of her stuff, my, a book that just talked me off of a ledge when I was in the middle of writing my novel was Bird by Bird. If you have not yes. read that book, yeah, oh, I, yes. like, <laughs> I feel like any good writer uh, has reads that book, but um, I feel like she's probably the closest thing I have. But hopefully, the more that we start having these conversations, like on podcasts and things like that, hopefully it will become more mainstream. You know that people people can hear about it and and kind of share you know share their experience. Yeah, I think that's one of the unique things about writing block is that we are a bunch of people who you know are doing this writing thing just we're just doing it. Not everyone in our group is a parent, but many of us are, and, mm -hmm. but we're not giving up no matter what. And like you said, um, Brandy about the thing that lights you on fire, you know, whatever that thing may be. And the, the converse, if you're not a parent, you've got family, you've got, you might have elderly parents, you might have some kind of crazy job that stresses you out. So we're all juggling. Yeah. And when you just said that about, you know, the thing that lights you up and, and when we're talking about 
uh, Becca, you know, about the idea that do we have value if we're making money or not? Raising kids in this climate is in capitalism is an interesting thing, right? Because you want your kids to be when they grow up to be functional and to be able to hold down a job and provide for themselves. But I know for me and my son, uh, I just, I, and my daughter too, but my son's a lot older. He's 12. So I want him to know that his value is not in his productivity. And so again, this is a great way to model that for him because obviously those of us who do writing, we aren't really in it for the money because there's not, you know, unless you're one of the one of the tops, there's not a lot of money uh, to be had, even though it seems like from the outside, you know, you have a book published and, and all those things. But I just, you know, when our kids look back, the writer in me always gets stuck on what are my kids going to, what's, what's their story of me? Mm. Like, how, how are they going to sum me up? What did, what did they think about, you know, when I, when I was raising them? And if part of the story is my mom would write and she just loved it so much. And I don't know if she ever made money from it, but it was like she had to do it. And so, you know, and so that's, that's her truth. That, that models for my kids, for our kids that you're, what you, what you, what you make is not is not who you are. And so again, I think that that's where that's a positive thing. I mean, granted, wouldn't it be a, it'd be a way cooler story if he's like, my mom made a lot of money and there was a long time she didn't, you know, I'd like, I'd like both. I'd like to be writing when I'm not making money, but then also there's a part where the money thing happens. But again, I think there's this modeling and how cool to have your parent just have a, have a passion. I feel like so many parents are just like dead to their creative side that for your kids to see that, that there's something that is kind of pointless that's just for your own benefit of wanting to express something and you went and gave that time like that's pretty awesome in in society i think in the, in this in this time specifically i love that <laughs> both of my kids pretend to be writers which is really sweet like they get their little pretend laptops <laughs> and they say that they're writing my daughter goes on a writing trip now because that was a really big deal for her for me to be gone for two days I'm a mommy and I'm going on my writing yeah. trip and then my son one time she brought her little baby <laughs> my son one time um was listening to me read a chapter out loud as I was editing and he goes mommy when you read that I could see the pictures in my head and that was just Aww. some of the most validating writing feedback I think I've ever gotten like if that doesn't if that's not rewarding I don't know what could possibly be rewarding so it's totally oh, worth it awesome and then when your kids you know like my 12 year old who's in middle school and he'll come home he had to write a paper on the um on the renaissance and he we were talking about, you know, he said, will you look it over? It was so funny. He was like, will you take a look at this? But I don't really want you to tell me any feedback. Will you just read it? I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm going to tell you feedback because why would I read it? Like it was this funny thing. But um, I don't know. There's like this sort of like cred that you have with your kids when you're a writer or when you've written a book that's like anytime they're like, oh, I have to write a four page paper. And you're like, Dude. <laughs> I wrote a book. So like my son doesn't even try to pull that with me. And I'm all excited about it. I'm like, isn't this so fun? You get to write a paper about your opinion about this specific topic. And so I think too, having a writer's mind helps us with our kids and tries helps them try to figure things out. Like I've said to my son before. Uh, when he's been like bummed about it, he mostly likes writing stuff. But I've said, you know, writing, you know, writing this paper, it's basically like having a conversation out loud 
but you know, but like on paper. So you're writing what you would say. So instead of being in your head totally about that, it's just this thing that only exists on the paper, like think about what you would say to somebody. So in those moments, I'm like, oh, this thing I'm doing, it's actually like I'm learning things to then like teach my offspring. That feels like pretty mm. good. You know? <laughs> That's cool. So this has been really fun. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on here. It's I'm on my podcast, which is the Adult Conversation podcast. We talk about a lot of different topics, but I haven't I haven't explored the being a writer parent topic and it's on my list of things to do. So, it's it's this side of me that I don't talk about with a lot of people because most people, you guys probably have the same thing. Most, you know, parents you see at drop off and pick up and your friends aren't necessarily writers. And so I don't want to bore people with all the specifics of it. And you know how passionate we can all get about all these things. So it's kind of a side of myself that I don't, I don't really talk about often. So thank you so much for bringing me on here to, to talk about it. It's like very cathartic. Thank you. Yeah. So it was so cool to have you on. I absolutely agree. Like most of my mom friends, except for my one mom friend who is a writer, and uh, of course, the writing block folks, everybody else is like, they'll, they'll be like, so what's going on with your book? Right. And you say like, you give them like the Reader's Digest version, and then they're like, cool, <laughs> on right. to the next topic. <laughs> right. Because it's like, there's, there's, they don't understand the nuances. So there's either like, is your book published and out yet? Or is it not? I think that right. like, what's going on with your book is, is, a, is a, you know, is maybe that question. Yeah. In a sense. But yeah, that's why going to this writer's retreat with all these other moms that were writers, we were all just like, wait, so you have the same weird passion that I have and you feel weird like you can't really talk about it to other people and no, it's like the secret side of yourself. So it, it's so great to be in the company of other writers and sometimes specifically parent writers. So yeah, thank you guys. Well, thank you. And thank you, Becca, for hosting. And um, this has been super fun. Yeah, thank you so much, Brandy. Do you want to tell people where they can find your book? Oh, yes. So my book is not coming out until next May, but it just hit Amazon, which is such a surreal feeling like to see it on there. I mean, you know, after four years, there's a point where you're like, is this even going to happen? Like, I know. <laughs> yeah, they, I said, they said this is going to happen. But it was it feels so satisfying and also terrifying because now I can't unsay all the things I said in the book. Like there's no like escape hatch anymore. So um, adult conversation, a novel, you can find it on Amazon and pre-order. It comes out May 5th of 2020. I I have a robust Facebook page, which is Adult Conversation. I have a blog, adultconversationparenting.com. I have a podcast, which is Adult Conversation Podcast. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter, even though I just cannot. It's funny. I should be able to figure out Twitter because it's writing, but Twitter's like a whole different crowd. So I don't know. I'm on on Twitter, I sometimes just throw things out there like, what the hell is this going to do? Like, I don't even know. So those are all the places you can, <laughs> you can find me. Um, yeah, adult conversation. That's basically all you need to know. <laughs>